Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the voice user experience and strategy podcast. I might sound a little bit hasty, I've got a little bit of a cold, but I'm hoping we can battle through. I'm feeling fine, but my voice is a little bit croaky. Feeling a little bit like Phoebe from Friends when she had that cold and her voice was really kind of husky and cool. So I don't know if this is going to be better or worse, I don't know, you could decide. But anyway, moving on with the show today, we have a very special show lined up for you. We're going to be talking all about VUI design and VUI tuning, which is a new concept for me. Um, This is going to be extremely interesting. We have somebody who is vastly experienced in the VUI world, working in the IVR space. She is Simone Wilson from Pindrop, and we're going to be talking all about Pindrop, all about voice security, all about VUI design, all about VUI tuning, the differences and similarities between IVR and, and, and the kind of voice space right now, and a whole lot more as well. This is going to be an immense episode, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is VUX World. It's actually pronounced Simony. Simony, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'll, uh, I'll I'll edit that one out. Then I'll go back and change that. Up. That's fine. I just wanted to do it like ten times, so you'd have to edit it every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hello there, Simony. Apologies, I got your name wrong. Hopefully I have re-recorded it, so when it plays back, I won't look so foolish, but I'll probably not do myself any favours by admitting I got your name wrong in the first place. <laughs> so apologies anyway, but Simony Wilson, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. It is a absolute pleasure. Um, thank you very much for joining us all the way from Atlanta. Uh, so, Simony, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your career to date? You've been doing the VUI thing for for uh, most of your career. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your kind of career path and, and how you've got to where you are now? Sure. I actually started um, pretty technical with my undergrad grad degree in mathematics and computer science, and I did uh, C++ coding for a few years in the um, aerospace industry out in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, before I sort of started gravitating to user interfaces, and at the time they were graphical user interfaces, mostly using X windows and uh, building interfaces that way. And then uh, being in the D.C. area, the, there was a program at the Georgetown University called Computational Linguistics. And um, one of my hobbies or interests had always been linguistics and language exploration. Um, And at the time, my company would pay for uh, you to go to school and anything that was remotely related to what you did on the job. And so uh, I more or less got my master's degree there in computational linguistics just because it interested me and it was more or less free. So that worked out. Um, I stayed at Hughes for a couple of years while I was getting my degree. And I actually did some time at Malibu Research Labs in California because that's the remotely related uh, part of my program where they were actually doing research in uh, talking to your cars, hearing the directions read back to you. And this was back. So it was in its infancy, any kind Mm -hmm. of voice devices. Uh, And that was interesting to me, but I wasn't maybe so much 
cut out for research, which is what they did out there. I was, mm-hmm. I've always been more of a person who wants to build something and get it into callers or users' hands and get that feedback. And so I can iterate and, 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 you know, know I'm making an impact for the callers. So I moved into um, VUI design as my focus. Uh, sort of broad spectrum of information retrieval, search engines, and machine learning, and natural language understanding, and all kinds of things, acoustic. But uh, at the same time, there were some tools starting to be built. Uh, The early one I used was at the Oregon Graduate Institute, and it was an IVR design call flow sort of system. And Mm -hmm. um, I was really interested in that. It was very easy to use. Um, And again, interact with the callers right away. You could build a quick a demo system and call a number and interact, um, you know, just one, whatever the subject was at the time. Mm-hmm. So really from before I even finished my degree, I started building in tools like that. And I stayed with uh, what's called VUI design or voice user interface design uh, for what I guess ends up being decades. Um, so I did a lot of IVR design work uh, with various companies. I did startups and and I worked at Microsoft, and I've worked for um, other big companies, small companies. I've contracted and worked on my own for years. Um, but I quickly turned into um, doing tuning, as you mentioned. So mm. for me, designing is necessary and interesting, and I like doing sort of usability studies and getting things designed. But in a lot of places, you end up, just designing forever and you get really attached to the design and when you hand it to customers it can become really static and you ignore their actual responses Mm. um and i really like the iterative aspect where once you've designed it deployed you can um actually collect the data and hear back from callers and then make adjustments and and i can go into more detail on that but that's where i sort of uh really found uh my interest whether i designed it or not i like evaluating the systems making the recommendation recommendations and and helping to implement the changes and uh, just recently last year like you said i'm a pin drop i've been able to move into something that I think is even more helpful for callers is not just design and tune systems, um, but actually make them um, fraud-free and uh, improve authentication rates. And not only can I help design your IVR and suggest recommended changes for how to use Pindrop's fraud and authentication authentication products, but I can actually protect you as well as making it easier. So um, that's been fun for me uh, because over the years, as most people know, IVRs haven't been terribly popular, but (laughs) speech has become popular again with all of the IoT devices and Alexa. Um, People are interested in spending the money on the right technology. And uh, now people get excited when I talk to them about protecting fraud and and improving their speech areas. So uh, that's been a fun change for me in recent years as well. Cool. It seems to be IVR seems to be having a, well, I was going to say a renaissance. It's it's obviously a hugely widely used technology that's in the vast majority of call centers. So it's been around for a long, long time. And maybe it's just because I haven't come across it in terms of this side of it. But it does seem to be having almost like a resurgence. Would you say that? Would you say that's true? Like. I agree, um, and that's that's part of the exciting side for me because, like I said, when people would ask what I did before, and I would say, "Well, you know, when you call your bank and you hear a computer instead of a person, and then you start to see their eyes roll in the back of their head, they <laughs> want to tell you how they hate it." 
And before he would start speaking, I would bust in and say, I make those better because I was on the tuning side and that's how I saw um, my role was I don't just design them and leave them out there and let you suffer. I, mm. I you know, record the, the calls, analyze them, transcribe them, figure out what's going wrong and know for sure that I'm having an impact on improving certain areas um, so that you call back in. Because uh, I think, you know, like I said, the technology has become so easy to use and people are starting to um, expect it everywhere. IVR is pretty much ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. um, we've had natural language uh, understanding of a high level for decades now, um, like you see in Alexa and so on. As it's so popular and sort of expected by callers, people are finally, companies are finally wanting to invest in it. Mm. And so now I can build systems on top of it using that and, and make everybody's lives easier. Mm. So you're talking about, you mentioned on the security side and fraud prevention side um, and your most recent role and current role at Pindrop. Do you want to tell those listeners out there what Pindrop is and, and what Pindrop does? Sure. Uh, so Pindrop's been around for about half a dozen years and launched with an initial product that was just about fraud, detecting fraud, mostly in call centers um, in real time and being able to protect uh, customers and the companies um, from fraud. So if fraud is maybe 2% of your total callers, let's, let's hope, um, we were making, you know, and, and really focusing on fraudsters. With my hiring last year coincided with a new product launch at Pindrop, which is called Passport, and that is aimed at authentication. So it's really supposed to, in addition to a layering on top of the fraud protection, it's looking at the other 90%, 98% of your callers um, and making better because not only do we know you're not fraud, uh, we can now treat you better. And so... Um, your call is protected, but knowing that, why don't we improve your experience and so not ask you as many questions up front or give you access to higher risk uh, transactions right on a phone call. Um, and that's whether you are in the IVR or talking to an agent. It's an end-to-end -end system. And, and that just makes everybody's experience more pleasant. The calls are shorter. Even the agents, as we found out, are happier because the callers who they end up talking to are happier. Um, and that just makes people call back more often and be happier to talk to the IVRs, which, as we just covered, has not been terribly popular the last uh, couple of decades. So um, really having that layer of security, uh, in addition, being able to improve an experience just, just makes uh, you know, the whole system work better. Mm. And it's been getting quite a lot of press, hasn't it, this this kind of passport thing? I've seen a couple of articles uh, from the last kind of few months. Uh, one of them was on um, biometricupdate.com, which is interesting, covering the, the um, deep voice side of it, which we might be able to chat about in a minute. But the really interesting one was um, there was one on Forbes, uh, which is all about pass the the passport feature, and there's also a really cool YouTube video which I'll put the link in in the in the show notes as well. And essentially, it's kind of demonstrating the passport feature on an Echo device, and it's kind of like the example is trading Bitcoin. So uh, the um, chap Matt Garland, uh, who presumably presumably Matt Garland's at Pin Drop, I haven't gone as far as to, find, to figure out what his role is yeah. at the moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so cool. it would be a bit yeah, strange. Yeah. It would be a bit strange if it was, if it was just a random stranger who happens to uh, have, have hacked into an Alexa yeah, and, and got his hands on <laughs> Pindop's product. But yeah, so so Matt Garland, he's he's um he's got this Echo and he's talking to it and he's trying to trade Bitcoin. So he's he kind of finds the price of uh, this this kind of like crypto coin and then he asks Alexa to sell it and then somebody else comes over and he tries to do the same kind of thing but it doesn't let him because it's not recognizing his voice. So that's kind of, that's, exactly. is, is that the sort of like, that's the pin drop sort of uh, USP, if you like, is it's the ability to be able to recognize that people are who they say they are. Right, exactly. And it's, it's like you said, authentication is, is uh, getting traction uh, in the field. And with deep voice, which we have um, in-house here in our research group as well at Pindrop. And that particular video um, really showcases all of those points very succinctly. It's a very short video. And the reason behind that is because it's making transactions so easy. And it really displays the fact that not only is it detecting that you're not a fraudster and allowing you to do the transaction, it's it's very easy and short and doesn't have mm. to ask you a lot of questions because you're already authenticated into the system um, based on your previous calls, right? Mm. And then uh, somebody else comes along and tries to make the same uh, transaction, but it knows automatically, yeah, that's the same device. Uh, you're saying some of the same words, but your voice doesn't match. And so one of the things that that showcases is voice, but Pindrop actually has... Uh, I think it's around 200 right now factors that go into um, determining whether you're authenticated uh, versus a fraudster, for instance. Um, and they voice is one area. Then, like I said, there's sort of the device. So whether it's your Google Home or your mobile phone or, or if you're on expected line, um, mm. as well as your behavior. And so that might be how you talk, how loud you talk. But on a mobile phone, it might be if you're pressing buttons, kind of the pattern you usually enter a number with or something along those lines. So there's mm. actually so many factors that go into it. And that does that particular video does a really good voice. Mm. So what's, what's the, what's the difference or the distinction between, um, deep voice and passport? So, so deep voice is really one component of passport. So passport is really the name of our product. Okay. But authentication in general is what has the sort of, you know, a couple of hundred factors that go into it. And from a, mm. from a product sales perspective, the tools that go along with it, we kind of group them into the three areas, voice print, behavior print, and device print. Um, and one of the things, one of the biggest parts of the voice print is, is deep voice. And that's the in-house uh, sort of um, research that we have. Uh, it's just on an, on an Alexa device, there isn't as much of an interaction on any other level. You're not necessarily touching it. Um, mm. uh, and the, the device print isn't as strong as it is with, say, a mobile phone. Mm. Okay, so that and and one of the things about that that because it was interesting, it was it was one of the, what was it? I think it was episode four of this podcast. We spoke to Jeff Smith, and it was all about conversational AI, and we kind of got into the realms there of like what the next generation of kind of like hacksters or fraudsters or con artists might be. And there was a really interesting, um, there's a, a really interesting uh, tool called Liarbird, and it kind of generates synthetic voices. And one of Jeff's points was saying that you know 
because the tools to generate synthetic voices are so sophisticated these days, you know, if 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 the you were just to ring up a call center manually and play a synthetic voice, it's it's very easy to kind of fool people to believe that this synthetic voice is the real person. But the whole passport thing, that doesn't wash, does it? It doesn't it can distinguish the difference between synthetic voices and real voices, can it? That's exactly right. Yeah, a lot of research has gone into that exact kind of attack. And Lyrebird is one of the things we use for testing. Um, so synthetic voice or recorded voice, there's a, a big um, push in for fraudsters into concatenating voice. So, for instance, your voice is probably out on the Internet all over the place. And so mm. you could actually record little bits of what you've said that's available on YouTube together to say certain things. So if oh, on another um, product, for instance, um, you have to actively enroll your voice and there's a certain have to say, then they could record it, uh, synthesize it, concatenate it, record it to say, you know, that exact phrase. And that's one of um, our products here at Pindrop is that it's completely passive um, authentication. And so there's nothing that you have to do or say specifically uh, in order to your um, profiles so that later on you're authenticated. It's completely passive and um, leads to a, it can lead to a frictionless experience going forward. Like you see a pretty frictionless um, experience in the Bitcoin example. Um, but that's where sort of my consultation comes in because some customers aren't ready for completely frictionless. Uh, my example is always if you have the front end to an app or something and you're calling in and millennial or millennials, they're going to be fine with something that's completely frictionless and just be glad mm. it happened so easily. But mm. if, you've, if you're working with uh, an older group life insurance company, you might want to ease them in and indicate what's happening and saying, okay, I have recognized your voice mm. based on last time when you called, and now I'm going to let you do this high-risk transaction. Um, mm. But, you know, a lot of callers don't necessarily need that. So in consultation with our customers, I will provide exactly how frictionless they may want to go mm. Mm. okay that sounds that sounds really interesting that and, and is it is is the pin drop passport product and all of this um you know the kind of authentication side is that at the moment purely targeted in the ivr space or has it kind of branched out into other areas you, you've kind of mentioned and, and sort of said alexa a few times is that an area that that it's involved in at the moment as well or an area that it's it's looking to get into where where does pin drop exist at the moment yeah so oh, sorry sorry passport passport sorry where does passport exist yeah yeah well yeah, that's kind of the shorthand anyway traditionally and since this last about, well, we officially launched in January, um, the second uh, sort of suite of products, which is Passport, and that's the authentication side. Um, so traditionally, we were in call centers, um, and, and that was the old, just the what was called Protect, the fraud product. But now, um, being able to layer in uh, the Passport authentication side, we basically have um, the opportunity to go end-to-end -end on a call. So you call into an IVR, it's already uh, checking to see if you've spoofed a call or if it's a known and all of those things start happening as soon as uh, you pick up the phone, or actually in the carrier space. And then all the way through 
to whether you stay in the IVR and press buttons and try to do something uh, or speak there um, to even if you go out to an agent for whatever reason, either actively or because you couldn't do what you needed to do. If you go out to the agent, all of that information carries forward and we continue uh, doing the evaluation when you're on uh, that side of things as well. And so it's a full end to end. Um, so it's IVR and call center agent, but then also, as you said, where we've got some examples uh, talking to Alexa, that really were um, as far as that's concerned, that anything you can talk to, that's where we'll be. So in our demos and in research, we have already created these um, proof of concepts for various devices. And really the customers will lead us into that area, right? So if we have somebody, uh, you know, we're using uh, iWatch and our customers are always talking to their iWatch, then uh, that's where the focus of our next um, uh, version of authentication will be. But it's basically any space where you can speak to it, whether it's your car or your, uh, you know, your microwave, we mm -hmm. can put a layer of security and authentication inside. Okay. So what who is the sort of typical client then for Pindrop? I'm just trying to one of the things we do on the podcast, I mean we provide help and guidance for designers and developers and, and some of that we'll come into with the VUI design and tuning in, in, in a little bit. But we also like to try and help brands out to try and think about where they can, you know, how they can implement a voice first strategy and, and where, you know, the environments in which they can kind of play in, if you know what I mean. Um so what kind of clients would find this kind of technology useful and what kind of transactions are the more kind of higher risk transactions i'm presuming presuming it's financial but it, um, there may be other kind of areas what, what what's the kind of, kind of typical client for pin drop yeah so initially obviously the financial institutions are the most interested and in where we have um, our first versions, especially with authentication coming out, um, anybody who has financial data, but then also anything that's healthcare related, right? Because there's a privacy issue. Um, your customers are very interested in keeping that information private. So it's not necessarily transaction based at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of the first two layers. Retail is also um, a big player because they have your financial data as well. Your information. Um, if you're a big retail company and you have your own credit cards, for instance, um, and even gift cards or rewards um, along those lines, we don't want somebody going in and, and ordering a bunch of things on your time. Mm. Um, but really it does go, um, so those are the first sort of areas, the obvious places that you go in where they're coming to us and saying, hey, we need this because as we've all seen in the news lately, uh, you know, there's been all kinds of data breaches, whether it's Target or um other big companies, it's something that people are more aware of and individual uh, users or callers to those companies are worried. And so people are reaching out to us to, to try and say, okay, this is what we're doing. We're taking a step and pin drop is one of those steps. Um, but even just recently, um, there are new spaces we're moving into. Um, so interested in talking, having their uh, baristas talk to the equipment in the kitchen, if you can believe it. And so there's a issue there about who's authorized to the latte machine, you know, um, and, and trying to pick it up in a noisy environment and um, make sure only the right people are talking to the right machines at the right time. So mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of really creative uh, ideas in that space. And every time somebody brings one in, we, we entertain it and kind of uh, spitball that with our research and let that help guide us into the direction we're going. Mm. 
Cool. Yeah, so that sounds really interesting. That I mean, I think that there is certainly as these as these well, I suppose voice as an interface as as that starts to become more and more um, prevalent, which it is beginning to. Uh, I think I, I've come across some stats around something like twenty percent of Americans have got a, a smart speaker, <laughs> which is it's a mental fact that. And as soon as people start getting more comfortable with it, I can see this being you know a critical component to taking these or that voice as an interface through into the kind of space that mobile and the web is in now in being able to do you know those kind of transactions i think it, yeah sounds like a sounds like a really really great product that yeah i i agree we'll be right back with simony wilson in just a moment but first i would like to just tell you about this week's flash briefing question this week's flash briefing question is are brands failing on Amazon Alexa and Google Home. Are brands failing on Amazon Alexa and Google Home? The reason I asked that question is because I was I spent some time on Dashbot uh, this week. And if you don't know Dashbot.io, the next episode of the VUX World Podcast is featuring Artie Merritt, uh, the CEO of Dashbot. Fantastic company. And they publish regularly. Uh, trends in terms of skill usage and skill reviews and and, uh, enablements, downloads and stuff like that. And you can just peruse that website and it's fantastic reading. It's really, really interesting to see what skills are doing well, what skills aren't doing so well and what the most common categories are and stuff like that. And I was just having a look around and in all of the brand skills that I come across all seem to have pretty poor reviews. Now, I'm going to try testing them out this week and I'll let you know how that goes. But what I want to know is, from your perspective, the people listening to this podcast, people in the industry, people who are working with brands to create these experiences, what are your thoughts? What are you finding when you're working with brands and what has been the output and the fruits of some of your labor? You can get involved in the discussion on Twitter at VUX World. We'll be running a poll on this as we do each week. You can get involved there. You can also send us an audio clip or upload a video onto Twitter and we'll play it on the Flash Briefing. If you do want to get involved, you can also go to facebook.com slash VUX World. You can post on our Facebook page there. Again, preferably audio and video because that way we can play it on the Flash Briefing this week. Uh, Or you can go to VUX.world slash Flash and you can upload your, your audio or your video there. And again, we'll play it throughout the week on the podcast and we'll discuss this. We'll discuss whether or not we think or you think that brands are having a hard time on Amazon Alexa and Google Home. And to enable the VUX World Flash Briefing, just ask Alexa to enable VUX World Flash Briefing. <laughs> or you can visit VUX.world slash Flash and you can find a link there. Now, without further ado, let's get back to Simony Wilson. Um, let's let's kind of move on then. We've we've kind of covered uh, you know a lot about your background and your career and and your kind of the kind of different roles you've had and and you know from from VUI design to tuning to now working more kind of on the on the customer side and then we've covered pin drop and what it is what it does uh, looking at the passport and the security side the authentication side and what environments that can be deployed in currently and where you're looking to take it in the future. So let's move it on now to to talk a little bit about the whole kind of VUI design thing um 
and specifically talking let's let's start with the kind of early IVR days and thinking about how you know when when you were working at Microsoft or or you know some of the roles that you had uh, after that when it comes to, to sort of designing for IVRs, how, how have things differed from, from well, what was it like then and then what is it like now and how have, how have things differed kind of throughout your career from, from an IVR perspective? Uh, that's, I'm glad you asked that because I haven't really thought of it from that perspective exactly. But what came to mind as you were forming that question was that I feel so free now in my design i feel you know it used to be very restrictive mm. and prescriptive um you know we were limited always and and you continue to be limited by what your customer uh, you, you know wants to do or, or is willing to do or, or is willing to pay for but if there are so many years that i was designing um, ivrs or tuning and saying you know this is where it's falling down i would recommend you make these changes and i know that it will help your callers and then, you know, they would say, no, we don't want to do that for whatever reason, whether it was financial or they thought they knew better. And so they would stay with the, the DTMF only or press or say prompts or having really long sort of warnings at the beginning about your call being monitored and all sorts of things that we knew as best practices were bad for callers. And you can do only so much arguing and pick your battles and you know that you're going to market or there, you know, that customer's market was something that isn't going to be as friendly or usable as it should be. And like I said, now, um, because of this sort of, like you said, Renaissance speech, um, they, they recognize that their customers are demanding a much more natural interface. And though it used to be too expensive, and so they refused to do it, now they realize they have to. Um, and then in addition, I'm working in that sweet spot where it layers the voice on top of security, and that's another sweet spot. They also know that customers are starting to demand um, because of all of these you know, leaks of security and all of that private information going out. So I feel a lot freer now when um, or collaborating on a design, whether it's using our tools or anybody else's, there are so many permutations of ways you can improve a caller's experience. And it's exciting to me to be able to promote that and, and see the customers really taking that input and saying, yes, I recognize the value in that. Let's do that. Mm. Uh, it's just not something I've been used to. So it's, it's a lot more fun. Um, I have a lot less limitations that way. Cool, and presumably the the technology must have come along a long way as well. It has, um, I mean, in in a lot of ways, but the capabilities and the neural networks they were ready a long mm. time ago, um, but they were expensive, and mm. so really expensive, um, but they're more ubiquitous and they're being used more, and so they're quickly becoming cheaper. Um, so. In the past, it was more of a, it wasn't being implemented. And since it wasn't being implemented, it also couldn't be iterated on and improved. Um, and designers like myself weren't able to really fully explore what we could do from a design perspective because there weren't many opportunities to do it. Um, but now, you know, it's like, hey, there's a while. It could do this before. Um, but I'm glad everybody's coming along with it now. Mm. And it just, to clarify, you um, just in not just in that piece there, but beforehand, you were, you mentioned that clients used to be quite happy to, to do DTMF only. Was it what what does what's DTMF only mean? 
So that's when you push, you know, when you push the buttons uh, on your phone instead of speaking. Um, uh, okay. And so that's why I say the presser say if you call and it says checking, press or say one. Um, mm. uh, and then a lot of times it was just press one. And those, those uh, are a lot of times a lot more annoying and longer and a waste mm. of time and not mm. fun to you. Mm. Yeah. That's that's probably what contributed to giving the IVRs the uh, the not necessarily glorious name that they ended up having with the press one for this, press two for that, press three for the other, um, and working right. working working through that. Um, so, you do you think that because we mentioned when we kind of spoke about the sort of renaissance in the IVR kind of space, and I'm just thinking whether the the more people get comfortable with speaking at stuff whether or not that kind of reputation from I, of IVR systems will steadily improve as people get more accustomed to speaking at stuff, providing the experience they get at the other end is, is the same. Do you think that the, the reason why it got a bad rap is because the experiences people were having were so poor or because people just aren't used to being able to just speak at things? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a little bit of both, but um, it's it's. I heard a talk at Speech Tech a couple of weeks ago, um, and one of the things they said that stuck with me was that it used to be systems were built such a, in such a restrictive way, such a very specific call flow. You had to say very specific things or press specific numbers. Um, if you went outside that, it just wouldn't work for you. So in a way, the people calling in or talking um, to the systems had to adjust. And it's it's very interesting that it's turning the other way. The systems are so open-ended that now it's more based on what the callers are saying. That data mm. is being collected and using learning to create intents. Um, and so it's not so much that the, the callers or the users have to adapt to the system anymore. So makes it more fun and easier to use. Um, mm. But as long as we're capturing all data and designing the systems to respond appropriately, Appropriately, then they don't even you know notice that difference. Uh, they just know they're having a better experience. Mm. So it sounds as though what's sitting behind some of the more advanced and sophisticated IVR sort of systems is fairly similar technology to what sits behind the kind of smart speakers in terms of the you know the natural language processing and, and recognizing the intents and stuff like that. Is it roughly the same sort of technology behind the scenes? It, it is, um, as far as voice goes, very similar um, technology. It's really just uh, different tools or different uh, code that you're using. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, for years, you know, after you've built IVRs in, or any kind of product in a different uh, different environment, you, you're used to whatever the tools are. You know what the pieces are. A tool mm. is a tool. Um, and it's really about the design and having, you know, access to all of that. So so the underlying technology is the same. They're just implementing. Mm. Cool. So we can cut. Let's, let's kind of take a step back and we'll, we'll kind of do two things. One, we'll go back to the time when you were designing uh, Vui designs from 
from the beginning and then we can kind of advance that into the the t- sort of like tuning area because i think that's an area that's that's as i said at the beginning really sort of overlooked in many spaces a lot of people tend to spend all of the time doing a whole lot of upfront design <laughs> and only having the budget to do the upfront design and then as soon as they make something live it's then okay that's live that's that project done let's move on whereas in actual fact once it's live that's that's when you actually start realizing whether or not it's any good isn't it so yeah, let's 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 um let's kind of go um, starting at the beginning then. So what when you're kind of looking at and it'd be interesting for people listening to this who are you know lots of people listening to this will be focusing purely on smart speakers for example or purely on um, digital assistants or, or voice first kind of interactions whether that's on the business end or, or the consumer end and I'm just interested to see whether or not if we can go through the kind of process for creating um, an IVR based journey to see whether or not there's anything in there and I'm sure there will be that can be applicable across um, kind of all kind of forms of VUI design so would, would you kind of could you talk us through when you were when you were in that kind of space doing that sort of role what your approach was to designing some of these uh, IVR experiences? Right. So initially to design an IVR, um, you, you basically have to get all the business requirements, right? Say, so, well, what is it you're trying to achieve? What are your um, you know, top five tasks? What is it you want to be able to do in the IVR? Mm-hmm. And then you got to look at the data that's available and how you're going to integrate with the data. So sort of designing that call flow level um, at a technical level um the the design as far as prompts and the flow uh, from a caller perspective from a usability perspective would be a layer that came after those initial discussions and mm-hmm. um a lot that goes into at that point once the the bare bones technical stuff is is established it, it becomes well so what type of task is this you know if it's if it's a menuing task or if it's a list task um, if it's an information output task, uh, depending on what it is that each task is trying to accomplish and the goals for it, um, you know how you're going to design a prompt. You know, each of those you would approach very differently. Um, and there's all those best practices that are involved as far as how long menus should be and how many phrases caller, you know, how long the phrases are that the caller should be saying, what are the fundamental pieces that should always be available, like, uh, main menu and cancel and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is a very important thing to discuss with the customers as well. So, you know, we might say checking, but if they have a specific uh, terminology at a particular bank about what they call their checking account, we want to make sure mm-hmm. that we've got those accounted for. Um, and then you start looking into the grammar side of things. So you want you want callers in the past, right, to say specific items, and but they you don't want to restrict them to just those five words. So you build out the grammar so that one word translates to twenty different words or twenty different phrases, so that you're catching as many similar phrases as possible. So in the old days, it was very speech recognition, automatic speech recognition, ASR based and thankfully now we're moving into more of that natural language so that the intents are being gathered and that that has to do with all those corpus of uh you know what people have been saying whether it's to that customer or to other customers you've had so that you can group a whole bunch of things together and get mm-hmm. the intent rather than matching specific words mm-hmm. um so and 
when I'm designing, you know, you take all those, you do the happy path, right? So you, you just take all of that information and you say, okay, if, if they wanted to call in and get information off of their checking account, here's the beginning, middle and end of that. And you design those pieces, the grammar, the specific prompts and figure out that vocabulary and how the data is going to be fed back and forth with your customer. But really the majority of your time ends up being spent on what if they don't go down the happy path? It's sort of that 80, 20 rule. 80% of your callers are going to get this right the first time if we've designed this correctly. Um, But what's going to happen to the 20% who don't know what to say or say it at the wrong time or just don't understand the question or want to do something else? How are we going to handle that? And that's everything helpful or uh, when to offer them to go to an agent or when to automatically go to an agent. Um, Mm -hmm. All of that type of information uh, is really where a lot of the debate ends up being is Mm -hmm. handling uh, all of those things gracefully. So um, you can only do so much of this design up to this point um, based on best practices, based on previous customers in a similar environment, et cetera. Um, as well as talking to your customer about what they think they know about their callers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do Wizard of Oz studies uh, along the way, which really in the case of what I used to do was just mock out those happy paths more or less um, mm-hmm. and then sort of sit across the table from a colleague or a family member and walk through the system would say and have them respond and sort of see what surprises are in store for you from somebody who doesn't know the system from a design perspective because because there are always surprises. <laughs> Hammer out some of the things at an early uh, sort of uh, pencil and paper stage before you start doing something expensive, and then you have code. Um, and then if you're lucky, there's a, an actual usability group um, at your company where they can invest in bringing in a few people to this with you before you launch. But that's, that's all before you ever launch it the first time. Mm. And then presumably once you do launch it the fun time, the first time, sorry, that's when the fun starts. I always say, um, you know, please break it. Like <laughs> that's so much more fun for, for me because they always, columns always do something expected, unexpected. And, um, you know, I think I think some designers really like the aspect of being able to say, see, I got it right the first time, but that's just not real. I've seen that happen. In fact, you just can't mm-hmm. get it right 100% the first time. So mm-hmm. once you get that out to, to actual callers, um, there's a full analysis that can happen. And again, it just depends on what tools you have available, but it's both qualitative and quantitative. Um, and so really, you know, you do hear that up front, you know, this call may be monitored or recorded. Um, and the recording, usually in the case that I'm, I've worked with, is, is when and transcribe. We're going to listen to your call and hear your pain and hear your struggle and hear your frustration. Um, uh, you know, be able to apply that. Listen to 5,000 phone calls, which was fairly typical to analyze a system, and transcribe all of these different points, um, question and answers throughout an IBR, whether it was focused on a certain area or end-to-end. Um, run analysis tools. I've done in-house tools. I've done um, leading industry tools. Again, it just doesn't matter. Um, you know, a tool is a tool. But basically, then you can get statistics on, 
Uh, how many callers are failing out of state? If they're failing, is it usually speech recognition that's the problem? Do they, uh, uh, where are they pressing zero, which usually means they, they don't know what they're doing? Um, you know, all of those statistics can be brought up. And so you can get kind of an idea right off the top and say, well, this state, 95% of callers are saying the right things and being successful. And so we don't need to worry about that state. But at another state, another question answer point, um, maybe recognition. So you want to go in there and look at those numbers, what they're pointing to. Um, and some of the first things that you can figure out is vocabulary based right so mm -hmm. um things you just did not anticipate callers saying that are actually legitimate answers at a particular question um it may not be a legitimate answer or it may point to something else that it should be doing that it's not um so sometimes that just means you need to change the way the question is worded but other times it means you need to add vocabulary or a whole new tab mm. um and so those things are all fairly basic, low-hanging fruit. The first pass through, you can find those things fairly easily. They're repetitive. They happen everywhere, that, that type of problem. Um, mm -hmm. But there's usually one or two, you know, just interesting, different things that uh, are unexpected, and you have to change maybe low. You know, callers are all trying to do this way up here, and then you go back to, you know, whoever the company was that launched this with you, and you say, why are customers saying this here? I've never heard that word. Is there like a... A word internal that you know is it on their credit card is it on their statement is there something that we're not aware of mm. um and it ends up being something so I said, well maybe yeah maybe they're using an old account number from before we merged with this other bank and they just you know <laughs> didn't realize they had the numbers of people calling using a different account number um so that's more fun for me to sort of figure out the the mysteries of it um and i do find it fun and listening to the transcription it, listening while i transcribe is is very fun um <laughs> you know if you're using it correctly that's boring but <laughs> if you're you know you know, if you're screaming at your dog or if you're screaming at the system, um, that's a lot more entertaining for me. <laughs> it's almost like, I mean, I think there's, there's a ton of similarities in there from from what you've said in terms of, you know, the the IVR space specifically, but then translate that through. I mean, even, even an Alexa skill, for example, or a Google Home action or, you know, a, an audio game or anything along those lines that that seem to be gaining you know quite a lot of traction amongst uh, the kind of like voice first developer communities that's all the kind of stuff that you'd be looking at doing to try and understand whether your kind of voice first application is is doing the right thing as well isn't it you know like looking at your failure rate and uh, unfortunately there isn't a pressing zero option which which must be that must give you a lot of insight where people are pressing zero but yeah, it just seems that there's there's quite a lot of similarities in there, um, in terms of yeah, yeah, the sort of like yeah, the VUI tuning side. Do, do you does because as I said before, the the kind of typical thing certainly from a you know most companies from you like sort of a website perspective or or something like that. I think if you design it and build it in house, it's probably a little bit different. But most companies that would kind of let's say bring an agency in for example and, and create a website or an app or whatever it's it's very much just kind of like launch it and, and move on kind of approach isn't it so how was the vui tuning part of part and parcel of of the projects that you were working on or was it always something that you had to then go and sell on afterwards yeah that you're exactly right so it, it did follow very much sort of a website building model um whereas you might build the website and launch it and never revisit it well that's a mistake already you know it should be dynamic you should be revisiting it 
Um, but, you know, various customers over the years just have that sort of, I already spent the money, it's functioning fine, let's move on to something else. And so we get that same approach with GUI design and, um, you know, launch a system and never, you know, as long as it wasn't breaking, right, as long as they weren't getting obvious complaints that the agents or the data just wasn't coming through, then then they would often just leave it. And that's why, you know, one of the main contributors to why people hate IVR is because there just wasn't responsible um, maintenance and update. So for me, over the years, it's been, um, I've had the opportunity to evangelize about tuning. Uh, it wasn't always integrated into um, the sales cycle when I started doing it. But the more I would say we need to be doing this and I'd get one opportunity to, to do it there, they would automatically see the value, whether it was the company I was working for or the company that was receiving the tuning. You always see the value. And so over the years, uh, it became something that um, got rolled into the sales process. So you'd sell it and you'd say, we also have this great tuning thing because best practices has become, you do not launch this and walk away. You launch it. And you do a quick maybe analysis 30 to 60 days later, and then you might leave it for six months or a year, or you wait until you need to add a new feature, but then you evaluate it again. And that is how you keep your callers coming back and happy, not only with your IVR. And so um, it did become uh, at my most recent company where I was doing that exclusively, to to really structure that and evangelize for it and by the time I left it was part of the initial sales process where there's one initial tuning 30 to 60 days out that is included in the price and then you can buy sort of these sign on uh, whether it's a one time six six months later or whether it's a regular maintenance thing and it became a regular part that everybody was buying so that made me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that seems like a, a fundamental thing, really. When you think about it, do you know what I mean? Like the chances of, unless you're doing a shed load of really intense research and testing throughout the your kind of development, which you know some some places do, some places will do a bit of design, bit of testing, or a lot of design, bit of testing, launch. So I think that you know, and even people out there who are creating these sort of uh, voice first applications and stuff like that or whether you're in the kind of IVR space I think you can't really stress enough how important it is to to keep on top of that once it's gone live because that's when you actually see whether or not all your hard work's paying off isn't it exactly yeah I completely agree but it's amazing when people are looking at their budget what goes first (laughs) yeah yeah I know yeah that's yeah that's class wicked have you got any let's let's say that um you know there's a lot of vue designers listening to this a lot of sort of developers and people who are looking at crafting voice first experiences have you got any tips for people who are doing this or, or people who might just be getting into this kind of space maybe he's got their ears pricked by by alexa or what have you um have you got any tips for people getting into the sort of vue design space or the vue tuning space yeah well i would just say i mean it's a really exciting time um, things like uh, there, there are a lot of tools online that you can use that you, you can dive right in whether it's designing for um, home devices or doing sort of more phone call related IVRs uh, that you can really dive in and do yourself and right now is the time to get on board because for years there's just been kind of a small community of and you kind of knew everybody that just wasn't expanding um, and so I'm excited for all the young people who are 
for coming in and excited to do this because it's it's so easy to do, um, you know, just right on your laptop. So I know that I'm excited to see people uh, like myself who've been in IVR moving into this um, more uh, IoT area and bringing those skills into this new speech horizon uh, versus like the new people who are starting now who have only designed for that area. And so I'm looking at the, the cross section uh, of, of where um, those skills come together. And I think that that's where the most potential is. And so I would say it's really tempting probably to, to just focus on the new uh, intent driven, uh, simple skill level uh, of the new devices. But if you have an understanding of the old IVRs, like you said, almost everybody has one at this point and they need to be brought forward and improved and brought into this new uh, horizon of speech. And so there's a lot of potential there just from, uh, you know, making yourself marketable. If it's something you love to do, then you're going to love taking those old busted, hated systems and bringing them into uh, the new technology. In, and that's something I'm looking forward to. Wicked. Fantastic, and it sounds as though Pindrop are on track to be doing just that. Certainly, introducing some well-needed technology, and I'm, I'm, you know, really looking forward to seeing how all that kind of pans out. So, where can where can people um, find out more about Pindrop and find out a little bit more about yourself, Simini? Oh, well, yeah. So Pindrop is PindropSecurity.com or Pindrop.com. Um, like you said, we've got a lot of. Uh, um, good videos. There are short videos uh, online. Our uh, Facebook and LinkedIn try to be really active as well to post those things. Um, but like I said, we launched our new product in January and um, we have uh, really good examples. They're easy to consume and they're fun. Like you said, the Bitcoin example. Um, so you could spend a very short amount of time on our website and really get a lot of that information. And it helps from a and end user perspective, see exactly what's going on. There's also, of course, um, an attempt on the website to to the degree that we're not going to explain it all to you, um, but it's consumable as well because it, it gets pretty technical. Our research group, I don't even know everything they do. Um, so I would definitely reach out there. And um, for myself, I am Wilson at pindrop.com. Um, I'm always happy to network with people, especially, like I said, the young people coming into the area. There, um, you know, we'll be hiring at, at Pindrop, but I, I know there's a lot of opportunities. So I, I'm often and and help in that way. Um, just, you know, because I'm excited about the whole field. I want all of us to, uh, you know, uh, come up together. I'm excited to see what's next. Wicked. Thank you very much. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. And if anyone out there is looking at, you know, getting involved in this space and wants to work at the cutting edge of authentication security, then drop Simony a line. Cool. Wicked. Thank you very much, Simony. Really, really appreciate you joining us. I think we've covered probably more than I thought we would there, actually. The whole pin drop thing, your career and experience, VUI design, VUI tuning. Um, yeah, I think we got real, real deep insights into all that there. So thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you. That was Simony Wilson from Pindrop. Fantastic episode, that. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, because that was, you know, I think that what I was hoping for from that was some of the similarities between IVR and 
other voice first uh, devices and applications and I think we covered that broadly speaking um, you know there was lots of stuff in there around security so the passport thing from pin drop sounds as though it would fit you know hand in hand with any voice assistant regardless of, of device uh, and format uh, being able to prove that you are who you say you are via your voice assistant I think is a, a massively critical part that will really push this industry forward so I do really hope that Pindrop are really pushing themselves into you know the, the Google Home and Amazon Alexa and Siri and Cortana space um, because that yeah I think that would unlock quite a few uh, quite a few doors lots of stuff there from Simony around um, you know VUI design and, and there's lots of similarities again there in terms of looking at what your kind of top business needs are that's arguably what you would do as a business if you were trying to create something like an Alexa skill or what have you you'd can't or, or a customer service based uh, virtual assistant you'd be looking at trying to solve your main customer pain points um, mapping out your user journey and that happy path I've heard that spoke about quite a lot in, in this kind of space and the ideal user journey and then how you deal with people who don't quite follow that happy path how you deal with those errors the error recovery side of things as well and then the tuning you know the bit that people seemingly forget about and i'm glad that alexa does kind of push and reward people for for keeping up the engagement and the constant iteration of skills because that's where the magic happens really that's where you really learn what's what and what's working and what isn't and how you can change things for the better so it was really interesting to hear Simony's approach and um, yeah, yeah there's lots of similarities in there as well so yeah thank you Simony for, for joining us that was an immensely interesting episode thank you everybody for listening I do hope my cold hasn't been too irritating I'll try and um, in the edit I'll try and kind of make it a little bit more um, I don't know better <laughs> but uh, yeah I do feel a bit like Phoebe I don't know if you've seen that episode where she was uh, she got a cold she went and do some, done some singing and the voice was really croaky everybody loved it she got a load of singing gigs and then a cold went and everyone lost interest so I don't know if that's going to happen here where you're going to be really interested and, and gripped to your speakers uh, <laughs> with this croaky sounding voice and then as soon as my voice goes back to normal I'll probably see the listenership drop but anyway, <laughs> no, never mind, never mind. Thank you very much, Simony, and thank you all for listening. And until next time, see you later.